First Samuel and chapter 30. Um, I'm not going, well, it might as well have a go at it. Uh, <laughs> Read from the first verse. Okay. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid and had overthrown Ziklag, burned it with fire. It took captive the women, all who were in it, small, great, without killing anyone. They carried them off, went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength left in them to weep. And then... Verse 6, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. <coughs> For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in Lord, that is, I am his God. It's, um, <coughs> and I have to say it again, that those of you who are, um, what shall I say, hardcore listeners um we we have been we've visited this story before but the trouble is i said when you've been speaking for 70 years it's hard to be fresh um in terms of a text because um the text keeps on being bigger and bigger and the revelation more clear and so without apology i'm going back to the story of ziklag um but hold in mind some of the things we've said in the last number of weeks because it, it, it's the same David. It's the same situation that we've been looking at. On this occasion, and I want you to realize this, David had been very irresponsible. Uh, people find it hard to believe that God continues to be interested in us when we've been irresponsible. Uh, David was very irresponsible. The whole town of Ziklag, which would be smaller than Bandera, and that's really saying something, but um, a very small town, and it belonged to David. And it was his headquarters in a safe place away from Saul, who you remember was always trying to kill him. And he had left Ziklag, he and his men going on a mission, and they left the city unguarded and I want to say to David are you nuts you are leaving a city filled with women and children and a few old people and you're on your way you've gone and you've taken with you all of the men all the fighting men and well they return and as they return after a harrowing mission and they're tired. I mean, get get the feel of this. You've got to feel, get inside of David's head and the head of his men. They're exhausted. They've been away for probably weeks, and, and now they're, they're coming home, and they're hardly talking a word. They're just letting the horses guide them home. And, and if they do talk, it's that excitement that they're going home finally to rest, to family, and, and sit and talk and gradually return to planet Earth. But right now they are gone. They're exhausted. Can you imagine as you approach your town and you're coming over the hill and you see the smoke still hanging in the sky and there's only one thing around here to be burning and so they quicken their pace and they come down into Ziklag and all that is a charred ruin. The houses look like black skeletons. There's nobody there. Not, not even the ravens coming to peck the dead people. There are no dead people. In the sand, they see the footprints and the camels and donkey prints. They, they, it's obvious what has happened. Someone's been here and taken the whole village captive, kidnapped them. And it would be more than likely the whoever had left some sort of flag, some sort of indication as to who they were. They were proud of who they were, the Amalekites. And at that point, 
still with the stink of a burning house in their nostrils, these men who are called elsewhere in the historical part of the Old Testament, the mighty men of David, I've referred to them before as Navy SEALs. They were special ops. They were, they were the men of the Old Testament. And yet they just break down and they bawl like babies. Uh, of course, we've been over this before. The persons in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people could, the men could cry, which is very unusual to our Western ears. But the men could cry. And on this occasion, we read it, they cried until there wasn't a tear left in them. They're exhausted from weeping. And they are sitting, if you see them, they're sitting on what used to be their house. And uh, there's David off there in his own area where as the leader of the people, he's trying to get things together, but he's with the men. He's weeping until he cannot weep anymore. Uh, they, they feel victims. You've got to get that clearly what's going on. They were feeling they were victims of the Amalekites. No... Have you ever seen a, a stick floating down a river and it, it's, it's doing nothing? It's just at the mercy of the river and it's smashed up against any rocks and then on its way again to be smashed against another rock. And that is the picture here. The, these men have not only lost everything when they, is a person any time ready to lose everything, but of all times when they're just exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally, and, and they, they're sitting there helpless and all they can do is just break down. And, and David, understand it, has got an added problem because now he's facing the shame of this. I mean, if you could get inside his head, all you would hear is, is I should have, I should have. What, what got into me that I ever left this place unguarded? I ought to have. What if I had? You know, all, all the stuff that goes on. And he goes around and around and around in your head, continually questioning, shame. Are you so stupid? Talking to himself, of course. If if someone else talked to us like we talk to ourselves sometimes, uh, I think we'd have a lawsuit against them. But the the stupidity, he he, he addresses himself. You knew better. You knew better. You you you've been a leader of men these number of years. How could you have left them? You, you're no longer worthy to be a leader of people. Say you're going to be king of Israel. Give me. A, that's a joke. You, you, you are not worthy of anything. You left these people unguarded. And look what happened. You abandoned your family. Shame. He's like a wilted flower. It's in desperate need of water, but it's just bending over by the second. There's no strength left in him. I mean, try and get a picture of this man. This is the man that stood up as a 15-year-old kid against Goliath and said, who does he think he is? Uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to get him. And um, the, the, the picture now is a broken man that's, that's wilting before these Amalekites and, and feeling he's finished and he's done. There's, I say there's no strength left in this man. If, if he would put it into one sentence, it would be, I am not. I, I can't find anything that I could say I am. I'm a failure. I am and am not. I'm not enough. Feel that feeling. I'm not enough. This is too big for me. I can't lay hold on it. I can't get a handle on it. I'm not enough. I'm no good. Fear. Of course, fear. Fear of what is happening to all our wives and daughters and sons right now. I know the Amalekites, they're vicious, they're cruel, they hate us. They, they didn't capture them just to put them in a zoo and look at them. What, what's happening to them? You know how imagination works. Hopeless. 
See, at the heart of fear, could I say, the fear as it arises in our flesh, because I know probably anyone here, you have not faced such a crisis as that, probably, maybe. But there are certain principles that are true However the tri-crisis is, it doesn't matter what's going on, there's certain things that are always true. Because whether you're sitting in Ziklag or sitting in your living room, there comes a point where we feel we've lost everything. We feel all the feelings of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm stupid. How come I've got myself in this situation? They are principles, whatever it is that arouses it. In the flesh, that is my natural humanity that um, believes it can exist just from within humanity, my humanity, in a crisis, there's a certain fear that is natural to the flesh. It's a certain anxiety that that it belongs to our beginnings. (laughs) And facing this, how can I put it? There's something inside me that says, I don't want to be here. And I'm serious, as if I could stop the world and get off. I I don't want to be here. And it can almost be in walking backwards into the future. It's like, what what was it years ago, the moonwalk, where where you're you're walking forward, but you're walking backwards. I I see many people go to work on Monday looking like that. Um, they, They don't want to be here. And think about it. I am saying I do not accept this part of my life. I don't want it. And along with that comes this, it's almost a must. It's like a a self-obligation that I owe it to myself to get rid of this situation. It's got to stop. It's got to not be. And if if I can't do that, I've got to resolve it. I am the master of my situation, and therefore I owe it to myself to bring an end to this situation. I hope that resonates with you, that um, that's something inside of me that says, I've got to stop this. I've got to resolve it. And of course, as soon as you begin to think in terms of doing that, You are faced with the reality, I am not. That's the big, big thing we meet. I am not. And that's the horror of fallen humanity. We we left to ourselves and we were told by the deceiver that we would be as God, only we find instead we're not even fully human. We, We are am not. And it's these crises in life. That's why they're so horrific, that they reveal to me, I'm the nothing. I can't do it. I am not. I'm not enough. And that's where we begin to tell ourselves a story. Uh, Do do you remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago? The story that we tell ourselves. And you're looking blank at me as if I'm talking from another planet. Okay, let me remind you of that, that an emotion, an emotion, I was reading it in a a, a psychological textbook just the other day, since I talked to you last time, and and an emotion, it's only for a quarter of a second, it's just a burst uh, of what we call emotion, Um, and, and that's where it would end, but we begin to fuel that little spark and we create a great prairie fire that might go on for the next 40 years, um, and we do it by telling ourselves a story. Do you remember? Um, I begin to tell myself the story of what just happened to make that spark of emotion. Only with the telling of the story, I tend to embellish it and I tend to leave everybody else out of it. It's only poor me. I had nothing to do with this. And, and poor me, look what happened to me. I'm a victim of circumstance. And those stories go through our heads at the speed of light. Um, you, you can hear the story a million times in a few seconds. 
as you tell it again and again and again, you know how this thing starts in your mind imagination and it goes in a circle and you're back to square one and you go around and it's back to square one. You tell it again and again. And, and as you tell the story, that fuels the emotion. And that, that's, that's what David is doing. He's telling the story of what happened to himself. Only in this case, his story is full of shame as well. And add to that, he tells himself the story of what is happening to his children right now. And that's, that's stupid. He has no idea what's happening to his children. But that's the thing with our stories. We tell stories of what we know nothing of. And, and they fuel the fire. And as, as he listened to his own story and heard himself being beaten up by his own story of stupidity and letting this happen, that's when he kept on crying. So the fuel is given to the emotion which results in a flow of tears of despair and hopelessness to victim. Huh, you think that's bad? He realizes, as he comes to what's only left now with dry sobs, he realizes the men out there, these mighty men of David, who have been weeping with him, are now having, a, <laughs> having an ad hoc meeting in the middle of the ruins. And they have gone further. They are now bitter at God. And you know where that starts when you say why did you let this happen and really what you're doing there you are serving a subpoena to God to come into your courtroom and give us an account of why he had to be so stupid as to let this happen in our lives that's the beginning and that of course goes on again it fuels itself and we add a story to it and it's what we call bitterness it's when it's not only happened, it's not only made us sad, but there's now an anger, a rebellion. God let this happen. And we rise up within us. You're blaming God, but then God's not around to take the blame. And so who is? His nearest representative, David, is sitting over there doing nothing, just crying like we are. He's to blame. Well, he was to blame anyway. Uh, but this is bigger. Now he's taking the blame they put on God is put on David too. And these men are deciding to stone David. And stoning is what they did with criminals. And, and I mean, it leaves me speechless as I tried to get inside this story. Um, and added to that, David is hearing their story which now is a very bitter, angry story. And he's absorbing that. It's joining his story. He's being engulfed. This man is a drowning man in, in, in what is happening. And, and death? I mean, come on, guys. Death at the hand of these men? Um, I, I don't know much about the military, but I know at any part of the military, no man left behind. But you get into some of these the special ops, you get with Navy SEALs. And they are battle buddies. They are friends beyond any other friendship in the world. And, and to say that they have now decided among themselves that they're going to court-martial their own leader and already decided to execute him with stoning. It leaves me as a reader into this quite speechless. I, I cannot. It's the ultimate rejection. When not only my best friends, not only guys that have stood back to back to save each other's life, but these men that have it ingrained in them to save their own. Not you. Have you ever had to be there and look into the eyes of your best friend and say, you? How could you do this? You said that? You're going to stone me for making a stupid mistake? Yeah, and it says then, David was distressed, greatly distressed. 
That is a big word. Distressed. It, it means, let, I'll have to work with it a bit. Um, distressed means all hope is gone. You have lost everything, at least in your little world, you've lost everything. And it looks like you're going to lose your very essential self. Um, it, it would be the thought in David's mind that I won't even be there to release my own children from captivity. It's all over. Death sentence. And the fear that goes with it. He's picking up on the energy of their story and this terrible sense of gut-wrenching loss. Finish. It's over. I can't go on. And so this word distressed. The actual meaning of the word means a canyon um, that is getting closer and closer. The walls are getting closer. So as you walk through the canyon, it has been... Uh, you're, you're aware that you're in a very narrow place, but it's getting so narrow now that your your shoulders are touching either side, and they would you're being distressed. That it's life is now squeezing you to the point where you can't turn around anymore. There is nowhere to turn. You are pressed on all sides. That's the the meaning of this word. There's no way through, but there's no way back. I'm, I'm getting, as I walk, life is, is so pressing me that I'm imprisoned by my moment. I, I can't get out of this. I don't know what to say. There's no room to move. So another word would be you have become cramped in life. Or better word, yet you're claustropho claustrophobia. You're, you can't breathe anymore. You're, you're, you're drowning in life. It is the essence of what we mean by anxiety. This word in the Hebrew language could be translated as anxiety. And it also means you've been confined, of course, but it would mean you're tied up. You can't move. Now, there's some interesting usages of this word in the Old Testament that um, one is, you might remember, with Elisha, his student says that we, we've run out of room, there's nowhere to sit down and there's nowhere to sleep. We need to build other houses. Well, they use this word, we're, we're stressed, we're claustrophobic. Uh, there's, there's no room in our house even to sit down at the table. There's too many people here. But the one that I like the best, maybe because of my height, um, it's in Isaiah, he uses this word, but... In this, he says, the bed is too short, so my legs are hanging over the end, my feet are cold, and so I pull up the blanket, but the blanket is too narrow. So he said, a bed too short and a blanket too narrow, and he uses this word. It means there's nowhere to go. It's cold, and there's no blanket big enough, and there's no bed long enough I'll freeze to death in the bed. So that was this word. Did you get the picture? Ever been there? <laughs> yeah, anxiety. I, I have to say it again. I don't want to just repeat it for the sake of doing it. But this is the guy. At 50 and 15, he's only got to be in his early 20s right now. So we're not talking about 200 years ago. This is the same guy. Just a few years later... When he stood, and, and everything in me rises with him to face Goliath. Who does this giant think he is? You know, and the whole army of Israel is running away from Goliath, and the king is a piece of wobbling jelly in his tent, and this little kid comes and says, Who does he think he is? Let me go out, I'll deal with him, and he'll be flat on his face, and just a few years later, he's, he's like this. He's lost it. He's lost it. He's forgotten who he is. You could say he's lost his grip. You, you better believe it. It's that mental paralysis. You know, you've ever been there, you don't know what to do. And you feel stupid, but you can't think. Well, what do I do? Where do I turn? 
it's a paralysis even a body because you're not going anywhere. You, you don't know where to go, nowhere to turn. And of course, certainly in that state, no authority to lead. And that's why his men have picked that up. There's energies going on here. David is sending out an energy, almost like a transmitting station, to say, I I'm done, I'm finished, I, I don't know what to do. And without a word being spoken, that's picked up, and the men come back, and it's all these energies, and, and he's lost his authority. The men won't listen to him anymore. He, he's, he doesn't have the wisdom. He doesn't have the strategy, which he's famous for. He doesn't have it. He's lost his confidence, lost his courage. And forget joy and peace. Those words have dropped out of his vocabulary. I suppose another word is meltdown. He's having a meltdown. It's a despair meltdown. David, what has happened to you? I really want you to get this. Because if you don't get it, you'll, you won't understand anything else I'm going to say. He's lost touch with now. That's always, that's the death knob. And very, 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 very few people live in touch with now. And David here is living in touch with the past. He just returns with that wretched story he's telling himself. He keeps going back to the past and saying, if only, if only I had seen this guy. If only I had. Yes, David, but that was a few weeks ago. It's long. It's gone down the river of time. It's, it's back there. Yes, but what I should have done. Yes, but you didn't, David. And, and that's, that's weeks ago. I hate myself. Well, that won't help because all that you're hating yourself for is gone and past. That's living in the past. You're sitting in the now, but you've totally lost contact with it. And of course, you live in the future. And in the future, in this case, all he can face is probable death, hopeless. So what's now? For David and for anyone who lives in the past and in the future, there's nothing left. The now is empty. But the trouble is that empty space of now is the only place where I can meet with God. God never lives in the past and he never lives in the future. He is the God who is. And David has lost touch. He was, okay, back with Goliath, but I could repeat through his life, read his Psalms. He's now, he's now. He's living here in this dynamic relationship with God. But now he's living in a dynamic relationship with that which is dead and gone and finished. Or he's living in a dynamic relationship with his own death and finished. Hopeless. And here he is, stuck in the middle. And of course, your imagination is brilliant at playing movies on yourself. Well, you're the victim over and over and over and over, rehashing again and again and again all of this stuff. Becomes your ID. That's who I am, my victim. Pity me. I am not. Okay. Do you feel miserable enough for David? <laughs> because, and this is why we're here this morning, as far as I'm concerned, the most amazing thing, that right there, come on. I mean, weep the tears, curse the day, descend into the blackness. And right there, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. Huh. Right there. In the, he's not saying, I better seek the Lord and start looking for an absent God. Hear me. This is what I was taught to do when I was being raised in evangelical Pentecostalism, charismatic. 
that now you've got to seek the Lord. If you're in a meeting, you're, 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 you are going to answer that appeal, man. You're going to walk forward and dedicate your life and try and hope God's hearing me this time. Right? But that, no, he's not seeking an absent God. Nor is he expressing any idea that there's a separation. And if David is away off here in the darkness in his what was and should never have been and if only or up here and say they're going to kill me, you would have thought there's some idea of separation that I've got to get back to God. What's that wonderful word in our evangelical? Backslidden, yes. Oh, yes. Backslidden. Don't know what some preachers would do without it. Keeps their churches going. Because everybody's backsliding. Where is it that if ever a guy, by many definitions I've heard, if ever there's a guy that should have been described as a backslider, that's David. What he was, what he is, dear Lord help us. He's backslidden. But you've got to feel it. He has no sense of an absent God. There is no sense of any separation having taken place. It's immediate. I mean, it's it's all part of the same sentence. He's in distress. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Uh, Why why doesn't he start at least play, play a respectable position here? Tell God how unworthy he is. Tell God, oh, let's add to the shame, shall we? There is enough going on. Let, let's add some more. Tell God I'm not worthy. I, I don't deserve to be the king. I don't deserve to be a leader. I've screwed up. No. Straight, bam, out of darkness in mind and emotions, even in how his body is sitting, directly, strengthened himself in the Lord. It's while the men are deciding to kill him, while they're having their court martial, and he's hearing what they're saying, and he goes straight. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He doesn't pray. This is getting serious. He doesn't pray. Uh, why, why doesn't he say, oh, God, help me? I mean, that would be a good beginning. Or maybe, please take this all away. Make it stop happening. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, the flesh would have applauded that one. Make it go away. Stop it. I promise you I'll never do this again. I'm not just doing this for an effect. This is how a high percentage of believers live their lives doing nothing. Nothing that crying to God that they believe is absent, but if they cry long enough and hard enough and make enough promises, then God will show up again. And they use that term, don't they? God showed up. Um, we, We go to prayer meetings and what do we hear? But oh God, help us, oh God, help us. What do we hear except a string of ridiculous promises we make to God? It's very fascinating. It's very scary. What have we missed? David went directly from the guts of the darkness to say he strengthened himself in the Lord. And the word strengthened is a pretty strong word in the Hebrew language too. Um, It means to be fastened to um, the same way as these things that are in the wall here are fastened into the wall. They're they're joined, and and you're not going to get them out. They're they're fastened. They're joined. And, And so to strengthen yourself is that he recognizes that he is joined to the very strength of God. It has in it the idea of resolution. It's resolute. That is, the vote is already taken. The decision is already made. We're not moving from this. This is it. 
And out of that comes strong confidence that this is the way it is. That's got the idea of strong, strength. Um, it, it, the word means to be determined. Um, this, this is not a wishy-washy strength. This is, we got it. It's strength, and it carries with it stubbornness. Um, you, you've got your feet in. You're not listening to any arguments against it. I am fastened, joined into the strength of God. And that is, that's it. I'm not moving from that position. So it describes a person living on purpose. You know what I mean? There, I'm not living with that sort of, well, if that happens, if that happens, and maybe, and perhaps we could, if... No, this this man is strong with God, and he's not going to be moved, and he's going to move into the future, bam, 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 on purpose. You can hear his feet coming down on the ground. It's what the Bible often refers to as take courage. If you ever, there's some of those verses back in Deuteronomy um, where, can I find it? Yeah. Be strong and courageous. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. See, these, these words that are translated strong, courageous, are this word, strength. They just got different words to translate them. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble at your enemies. Why? For I am your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So you're as rigid in your position as God is. That verse, incidentally, is um, translated in the New Testament. Hebrews uh, chapter 13, is it? You know it so well. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, that's a quotation in Hebrews of what I just read. Um, It goes over into the New Testament. You're unshakable. You're immovable. And you know it. And you've got that look on your face. It's an attitude. Um, And Joshua, do you remember the word to him? No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. But you be strong, courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. Be dismayed. For I am your God is with you wherever you go. This isn't something that just showed up with um, David. This is something that's um, throughout the New, Old and New Testament. It was also used to repair when they fortified a building that was falling apart, they used this word. They strengthened it. They, they, they put it back together better than it was before. It was repaired. It was strengthened. And now it won't shake. It won't budge. <laughs> Actually, um, everybody, no, not everybody, but most of us here, would understand this. Um, many of you won't know what I'm talking about, but if you if you come to Texas, certainly if you live here, if you know that Texans have an attitude, um, and, and probably as you cross the border, you'll hit a little sign, don't mess with Texas. Have you ever seen, you've been to Texas, it's scattered, where they dump it down all over the place. Don't mess with Texas. And you can almost see that look on a Texan's face. It's an attitude, you know. A little while ago, we we had rumors that certain people were coming to Bandera to protest or something. And they promised they were going to burn the place down. And I heard a thousand clicks of rifles. (laughs) And I heard... The ranchers say, bring it on, boy. <laughs> and I think the message got back because nobody showed up. But 
that's that's this word and I'm not being silly about it it's an attitude word and it's an attitude that's grounded in absolute truth I know this I am one with the strength of God so don't mess with me I've got an attitude of divine presence isn't it incredible that straight from the hopelessness of despair he strengthens himself in the Lord maybe that's all I want you to go home with today the immediacy of it the immediacy there's nothing in between there to get from A to B it's strengthen himself in the Lord as though in that darkness there was this little shaft of light uh, certainly wasn't much maybe the divine touch on his shoulder hardly discernible a gentle voice the voice of love deep down inside that darkness that says I'm still here I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you as I've often said if you insist on using that term backslide well get used to it he backslides with you you can't get rid of him he's not the snotty-nosed God that people call God who's back there in his mansion saying well whenever you want to come back no there's no coming back because he never leaves you nor forsakes you he's there in the middle of it Can, can we appreciate the love of God at this level when we're in that condition, when we don't feel like Christians. And God's love comes to us. In um, the Mirror translation, um, listen, you know in 1 Corinthians 13, it speaks of love is. The word there is agape. That is, this is the love of God at its most intimate one-on-one. Listen, listen. This, is, this is how God loves you. God is large in being passionate about life, relentlessly patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others, you, with kindness. Love is completely content. He strives for nothing. Love has no desire to make others, you, feel inferior. He has no need to sing his own praises. Oops. I thought that's why you went to church, to tell God how big he was and how lousy you are. Got it wrong. Love is predictable, does not behave out of character. Yet you'll never find him in a bad mood. Love is not ambitious. Love is not spiteful. He gets no mileage out of your mistakes. Love bears no record of any wrong. Now, how on earth did that happen? How? I thought he never, he was worse than an elephant. He never forgot. He would hang you over all that you've ever done wrong and one day punish you forever. And yet it says, love bears no record of any wrongdoing. Well, that's another story, isn't it? But Love is a fortress where everyone feels protected rather than exposed. I mean, that's what we're talking about. David could not be, in our language, further away from God than he is. And yet the truth is... God was in the middle of it with him and was speaking to him with love, bearing no record of the wrongs. Patient, kind. That's the gospel, you see. In fact, in Ephesians 6, there's, um, and this is, you might not associate this, but it, it says to the fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do you remember that one? What does that mean? You know, some, God bless you, have had a father like it. You can't ever please them. It doesn't matter you come home with a B plus and they rage at you because you didn't get an A. 
Your football team scores, but you should have done better than that. You're never right. You've never, never done anything that's worth praise. He's never given any indication that he's proud of you. And the poor kid says, what's the point? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and nothing please exasperate. Now just a minute, hold hold it. Who wrote that to human fathers and says, do not exasperate your children? It was the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that suggest that our Heavenly Father does not exasperate us? Well, wouldn't that be it? That He never brings up all our past. He never keeps on saying you're no good. He does not delight in our saying, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. No. I know it will shock some of you, but He's proud of you in Jesus. He's proud that what has happened in your life. He's delighted. He says, rejoice with me. Look at my kids. And he doesn't expect you to sit at the dinner table saying how wonderful he is and what a privilege it is that he hasn't killed you and you're here. Um, well, that is called worship in some places. Instead, he looks at you and his glory is his opinion of you. And he's telling you how glorious you are in Christ Jesus and that he made you for glory. Just a thought. say well you don't know what I've done I don't really give a fig <laughs> the truth is you take yourself too seriously why don't you take God as seriously as you take yourself think about that we come up with all the miserable record of what we've done and we say I'm taking myself very seriously yeah I wish you wouldn't because the love of God in the shed blood of Jesus says that he has cleansed you of all unrighteousness and he sits you innocent, blameless in his sight. Take that seriously. David has arrived in the now and it took the turn of a head. See, that's what I say. If you can get this, you've understood why we had a meeting this morning. It, it wasn't a long journey home. It was the turn. Of, he'd, he'd turned his head into the flesh understanding, into the darkness of, I've got to stop this. I've got to do something. And he just turns his head back to trust in the God who said, I'm with you. I never leave you. I am your strength. And notice he strengthened himself. David strengthened himself in the Lord. So it wasn't a bolt from heaven. It wasn't that he was just walking along and smack on the face and wow, it happened. No, he hears something in his spirit enough that he turns his head to trust as he had all his life. He he was awakened to trust. Again, please understand that because we're waiting for some great experience like we read about in books or here on TV. Uh, they, there are such things, but they're so odd and different that please drop it, would you? It, it, the fact is, in, in a nanosecond, as we're sitting here, you can turn and... You're there. He's never, he's never left you. He's never been away. And the turn of your head is, I'm home. I'm, I'm back to trusting in the light. And, which is almost another subject, but David was strengthened. He strengthened himself in I am. Which means it wasn't a borrowed strength. It wasn't a momentary feeling of strength. That really wasn't him. You know, he just acted as he did for a minute. Um, or you know the people who say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, meaning I had nothing to do with this. Well, don't be daft. Of course you had something to do with it. David strengthened himself. He was strengthened. 
And whatever the strength of God looked like, it came out through David's mouth and through David's eyes and through David's energy and David's tragedy so that the men followed him again. He did it. And just just a minute, I, I thought he, David, was strengthened. But I thought we wanted to get rid of the Amalekite. I thought we wanted to resolve this problem. Well, when David's strengthened, the problem will be solved. Do you understand? We say, go away. I don't want it. Stop it. I don't want to be here. Take it away. Take them away. Some people, we say, kill them. I mean, it's, it's go, go. I don't want them around anymore. Instead, David is strengthened. And when David is strengthened, he's the one that brings about the resolution of the problem. It brings us face to face with something very important. And that is, God does not abandon us regardless of what we do. And I know, I know, people are shocked by that. I know that. I've been around enough. I was raised in, it all hangs on me. But if you come to Scripture, Ephesians 1, very specially Ephesians 1, but there's, there's many other ways. In fact, if you were at the Bible school a few weeks ago, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that before the clock began to tick, before there was time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had an intention. Do you remember that Bible school? He had intention. He made decision, a determination. And that was that you should be in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus brought into the fullness of God's life and been made by grace one who knew the love of the Father in the Holy Spirit, in the, in the love of the Son. That was a decision. And it was made before time. It's the intention of God that would govern all of time. And it was a decision... If God made it, he cannot change his mind, not that he would want to, because it arises out of the want-to-ness of God. But let me push that, that God's decision, God's intention about you, that you should be in Christ from the minute of your breath. His intention cannot be changed by your intention. Sorry about that. It's a bit late. Um, this was before time. And you're born well into time. You can't, you can't change God's decision by yours. Please don't leave the Zoom. Um, I, I know this, this sounds terrible to some. I, I, I've gotten into a lot of trouble over this if you if you've been around me for the last 40 years you will remember you'd have been in some of my meetings in churches and you would remember i would not ever give an appeal do you, do you remember that in in church after church after church uh, and and the pastor said now you, you've got to make an appeal call people to decision i said i don't do that and they get a little upset and think I'm just having a bad minute. And, and so I'm sure I'm obviously going to do it. And he comes up to the end and I, I say, well, good night, God bless you. And the poor pastor says, well, what have you, 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 did, you didn't make an appeal. You didn't call people to decision. And um, maybe I couldn't have explained it as well as I could today. But the fact is we, we have placed everything upon our decision about God. Whereas the entire Bible is his decision about us. You say, well, I decided to follow Jesus. It was a jolly good job he decided that a long time ago. You're just deciding to accept his decision. Right? You say, I've accepted Jesus. Well, it's a good job he accepted you before you were born, isn't it? We've accepted our acceptance. 
We believe everything hangs on our decision. So if we're David, oh, well, God help us. We, we made all the wrong decisions and we're screwed now. We're done. There'll be a long journey home and I've got to convince God I mean it this time. My decision is strong. I mean it. And I'm going to tell you, I was unworthy. I'm no good. But this time, I promise you, I promise you, this time my dedication is for real. Didn't, no, it didn't work, did it? I, I wasn't passionate. Enough. I didn't cry. We've got to do it again. Next appeal. Forward again. I'll... Why don't you just lean back and do what religion hates? Which is to say, thank you, I'm accepted. Or like David, straight from the depth of your darkness, I'm one, I'm strengthened in him. I can do all things. I. It's, you see, the, the, the younger son in the great parable that we always return to, you know, younger brother comes home. He's got his decision. Boy, did he have it. He, he, he went over it in the pig pen, and then he was rehearsing it all the way home. He knows it by heart. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I think that sounds good. I mean, that sounds, you know. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That will do it. I'm going to grovel. I'm no good. I'm no good. What about, um, make me as one of your hired servants. That is, I'm a second-class citizen. I accept it. That's okay. And do you remember when he starts presenting his decision? This is my intention. This is the determination whereby I came home. And the father engulfs him. So he can't talk anymore. And the father says, you are my son. As if to say, we had this figured out long before you came home. Shut up. <laughs> it's love restored David. David trusted love. He writes about it much later on in his life, but under similar circumstances, where in Psalm 23, that was when Absalom was coming against him. And you remember he says, you lead me in the paths of righteousness for your namesake, which means you do that with, I, I had nothing to do with that. It was just because you are who you are that you did that. But then he says, you restore my soul. The word restore there in the Hebrew language means to take me back to where I left the path. And he says, you do it. We go back, but if you do it, that means you were with me when I was off the pass. And you, shepherd of my soul, you take me back to where I left the pass. That's it. And that strength of David so changed his total person. He's united at a very deep level with the mind of I am. So that beyond explanation, I am, the God who is I am, now actually is residing in David. And the, the I amness of God becomes the I amness of David. The confidence of God, the contentment of God, the peace of God. The enough of God. For if you're going to say someone is enough to handle this, to handle that, when I meet with this God, all he says, I am. That covers everything. That's total sufficiency. Paul says it in um, Philippians 4, and one. in fact, the Amplified translation is, I am self, Paul is saying, I am self-sufficient. 
with Christ's sufficiency. He says that the I amness of God has been given to me in Jesus. And now I am as sufficient. I, I can handle this. I can handle it. And that so, yes, radiated out. Uh, and it is so. We, we all do this. Tragically, we can understand it more by radiating out our misery. And we walk into a room and we can make everybody sad within five minutes. We, we have that. Uh, and, you know, you don't say a word, but after you leave, they look at each other and say, she's in a bad mood. Well, you didn't say anything. No, you had that radiation of misery. And it was felt. It was like an energy that punched everybody in. Or if you've been angry, you walk into a room. Everybody gets restless, edgy, because they feel your anger. And they don't want to talk to you because you haven't said a word. But the energy coming out of you is overwhelming everybody. Well... Ever thought of being so aware of your I amness in Christ that that energy goes out into the spirit world and can change circumstances and can change the hearts of other people around you just because you're there. And it, all this happens so quickly. I've said enough from immediate, from the darkness that is strengthened. But then, remember, there is a court-martial going on. <laughs> this wasn't a day later. In the middle of all of their determinations to stone David to death, they feel the difference. He's back. The leader who will rise up and take them to victory. And they're... They're dropping their stones and they're falling in line with him. Well, I'm done. I'm not going to make an appeal. <laughs> what I want you to do is remember. You know that word remember uh, in the Hebrew language? It's the word which means to bring the past into the immediate present. It's a time warp. There is no past. The past is now. And to realize the reality that you, as you sit here this morning, you are in union, a union determined by God from before time that cannot be broken. You might have turned your head away from it, might have done a lot of turnings. Remember, you are. Remember your union. Remember His intention concerning you that you are indeed you are Christ in you that's who you are and and would you stop taking yourself seriously and take what I've just said seriously that's the word of God to you that you are Christ in you and our darkness is only because we've turned away from that. And when we turn away from light, all you get is a shadow. And that's what you're walking in. Remember who you are. Don't get out of bed in the morning until you remember who you are. And proclaim it. Don't pray it. Don't say, oh, God, be with me today. What do you just call him, a liar? <laughs> he said he'd never leave you, never forsake you, even when you're in the pits then proclaim it, declare it. This is who I am. This is who he is in me. And get used to feeling illegal. I said that the other week and somebody wrote and said, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean what I say. Religion will make you feel illegal. David was not allowed to do that religiously. Because there's got to be... Religion always says that whatever you're looking for is up ahead and they always say there's a delay. It's, you know, it's possible, could happen if you pray enough, read your Bible enough, dedicate enough, 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 enough. So it's, it's where I don't know how long it's going to take you to get there, but, you know. 
and now you show up and all you did was turn your head and say, yes. And he says, I've never left you anyway. That's illegal. And they're going to make you feel it. Go to that prayer meeting and they're going to look at you as if, yeah, you backslid. Because <laughs> you're so happy. <laughs> you backslid. Couldn't be happy if you're feeling well. And it brings confidence to act. And I don't know what area I'm talking about with you. We've been talking about David as sort of a supreme example. But each one of us has got our own zigzag. Each one of us has got our own point of distress. The word I've given many times in years past is act as if this is true. It sort of helps you over the hump. We've got this silly thing inside of us that says, well, it's too good to be true. It's a, I don't know if I can believe that. I've even gone so far with some people to say, let's play a game of let's pretend. Let's pretend God loves you. See what that feels like. Let's pretend Christ really does live in you. And I'm not being facetious. That's the only way to get through a religious mind sometimes. I, I challenge you for one whole day, if, if you're so into the bondage of religion, would you get to give me one day in which you would pretend that God loves you unconditionally without boundaries? Just for one day, would you pretend for me that he does not keep a list of all your wrongs and he doesn't exasperate you? He's nuts about you. Would you pretend that? I know you don't believe it, but would you... Would you really pretend it? And would you pretend that Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? The totality of you, mind, emotions, imagination, as well as your cells of your body. Would you do that? Because at the end of the day, I suppose you'd have to give all that up and return to the misery of religion. But at least you'd have had 24 hours of living in what the New Testament calls this life and life more abundant. And to realize this is the truth. We pretend only because we're so bond in religion. But we don't have to pretend because it is the absolute truth. And we take it as ours. So now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing is upon you, does fill your life. And this means this week you walk in that with eyes wide open to the wonder of his salvation in you. It is to that end I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.